Before we get started, I want to tell you about the sponsor for this week's episode. AB Jets is a great story and great company. I'm not exactly flying around on private jets during this stage of my life, but if I were, I'd be calling AB Jets. They're one of the safest private air companies in the world. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States with nonstop access to most destinations around the U.S. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E. T.S. If you're in baseball and you're some killer, you know, you're an MVP candidate, you're allowed to have strikeouts if you're hitting a bunch of home runs. Or for that matter, you're just hitting a lot of hits. And then again, I'm really aware enough. I'm, I'm, I have the luxury, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I've got the luxury. I can take those swings and afford them. You know, literally through my life, I can deal with them. And a lot of people don't have that. And so I think they have an obligation to do it. I mean, frankly, I mean, otherwise you're wasting an opportunity. My guest today is Andy Cates. Andy is an entrepreneur, investor, and community activist. This is a jam-packed episode about risk, entrepreneurship, identifying opportunities, and much more. Here are a few things that Andy is a part of. This will give you an idea of his experience. He's a founder and CEO of RVC Outdoor Destinations. He's a managing member of the Value Acquisition Fund. Along with several others, he's responsible for bringing the Vancouver Grizzlies franchise to Memphis, Tennessee. He's a founding chairman and the president of the Memphis Fourth Estate, which is also known as the Daily Memphian, a startup digital-only newspaper. He's a founding chairman of the Soulsville Revitalization Project, which is one of the largest inner city revitalization projects in the United States, and much more. I had a great time with Andy, where you'll learn what it's like living with the fear of failure, but why even the best hitters are still able to have a few losses, how he assesses opportunity early in his process in picking talent and building things from scratch, where he's failed by not growing opportunities fast enough, and much more. For more information about Andy or anything he is a part of, you can check out the links on my show notes. Please enjoy this week's episode with Andy Cates. Andy, great to see you, man. Thanks for coming on this afternoon. Good to see you, Sam. Glad to be here. Thank you. I mean, I can honestly say this, not, I think if anybody that listens to all the other episodes, not that I don't enjoy those in the prep, but man, this has been so dynamic and fun, just kind of digging in. And first, first thing I was thinking about, I don't know if you'll have a problem with me repeating this quote, but I'm curious if you've always been scrappy or what that's looked like in your life. I read this quote that Kate's was constantly giving tours, this was for Soulsville, to potential donors in the media in his white Ford Explorer. Kate's was known as the white man in the van. Often, <laughs> often suspected as being with the FBI or Memphis Police Department. And for those that don't know, Soulsville at the time was one of the largest in the United States inner city revitalization project, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But 
was that true? <laughs> was that a true quote? And I'm just curious, have you always been scrappy? I don't claim to be scrappy. I claim to be hyper. Uh, but the, um, the funny part on that is it didn't help on the FBI part when I often had a suit and Wayfarers on. And I was always <laughs> tempted to then go ahead and put something like an earpiece in that didn't have anybody saying anything. The white man in a van part, I was the white guy in the Explorer. The white man in the van actually started, the person that deserves that is Ken Bennett at Streets Ministries, who in the 80s, when he was starting Streets, would go to Booker T., Washington in a white van, and he was a hippie. So he had the he had the Jesus look. He's an amazingly good human, but he was called the white man in a van, and that wasn't far from Soulsville either. I guess that was officially the way we would define Soulsville part of it. But yes, it was fun, and that those were early days of trying to build relationships and trying to acquire the land around the original site in that block that now Stacks Music Academy and obviously the museum and the charter school all sit on. And it was also doubly fun. And we were always very upfront about, you know, we're not trying to come into a neighborhood and dictate, nor are we trying to be something we're not. We're, we're trying to bring capital and folks that are not as aware of the history and of the neighborhood into the neighborhood. And, and frankly, the, I reflect on all those days and had nothing but positive memories and people with open arms. So it was, but it was, it was an interesting time and it's fun, even though there's still a long way to go. And a lot more that can happen there. There's so much positive that's going on. It's fun to see. Yeah. From your business standpoint, and they'll get this at the top of the show, I've got that you obviously work for Trammell Crow out of Dallas, and you went to Texas, you studied finance. And then after that, it looks like you started Viceroy Investments. Is that correct? Commercial real estate? Viceroy, yeah. Viceroy. Viceroy with With my old boss from Crow, he still runs Viceroy in Dallas. Okay. And then after that, that's where you started the value acquisition fund. That was in 2004. And I know that, you know, started RVC Outdoor 2007. And then in addition to all that, you're on the board of Pioneer, board of Pico, launched the Daily Memphian. All that being said- I'm very self-important and I can make all this stuff sound impressive when it's not, but keep going. Yeah, we'll leave that in there. But I read a quote. (laughs) And that's what struck me and why I doubled down on this. The quote was about Soulsville. And this was from you. It said, vacant buildings kill neighborhoods and we do not care enough about it. At least that's the quote I read. Dead buildings are billboards for dying neighborhoods. And then the gentleman from Mr. Higgs from Lemoyne Owen said, trust had the valuable connection to Lemoyne Owen. If you're going to do any community redevelopment work, you've got to have buy-in in the community. And that's a theme that I've seen different people around the country, it doesn't matter where it is, who it is, A, that's a theme. And then the second thing, the reason I just reeled off all your business and corporate experience and even your own values as an investor, you talk about, to some degree, I mean, you didn't say it this way, radical transparency, talking about trust, backing it up, your own values. Why, from your standpoint, with Soulsville, with that inner city redevelopment project, why is it important there? Why was it important there to have trust and why, why is that crucial for success? Oh man. Well, you know, the answer. And I, I mean, that's true for everybody. Ultimately every relationship starts with trust and care and mutual respect. But I think ultimately when you add to the minor detail of all the racial history we have, 
and everything you're dealing with, with generational poverty. And by the way, all the social unrest that we're dealing with today, that's, that's frankly been bubbling up for about 400 years. I think that was especially sensitive to put it mildly when you have a bunch of perceived, you know, quote, rich white guys coming into a predominantly black neighborhood. I think you have to be very honest and direct and every, and, and be clear and, and, and also be self-aware. And that's not self-righteous. That's just honest. The other piece of that is that in Memphis, and we were really sensitive and I'm still sensitive to this. I love our city, but we have had, thankfully, this is not as true anymore, but especially when we were all, and it was definitely a we on Soulsville, and it was so many other people were so beyond critical and it was meant to happen. We got so many lucky breaks that I, you know, I don't believe it was all luck, but we had a chip on our shoulder as a city. And again, I think, thank God, that's dissipated dramatically, but it was bad then. And it included when we didn't get an NFL football franchise, a number of projects didn't work well, that would have been public projects. And so building up, and then by the way, Stacks itself being torn down after being one of the great music labels of all time. And then a lot of Memphians not even being aware of, of what Stacks meant. So going into the neighborhood and then going in to deal with that unbelievably important history we couldn't miss. We couldn't overpromise, and we could not afford to lose what shred of credibility we could earn. And so, I, again, I think that demanded just being constantly honest, which, by the way, I'd, and I'll shut up, you continue that with also telling people we may fail. And we said that often, like, this may not work. And this is what we're trying to do. If we, as an example, if we buy these properties, which thankfully around stacks, I say thankfully from the standpoint of when we were buying them, we weren't having to displace people. We were buying neglected, very, very troubled property. The best thing we did to begin stacks is we bought a, a bunch of run, you know, vacant apartments. And I remember walking in and up almost up to my knees of liquor bottles and drug needles, literally. And it was just brutal. And that was hurting the neighborhood dramatically. We bought that, which has its own really long, fascinating story of how we got it. And then we tore the bill with the help, by the way, of the county. We tore it down and we got people calling just immediately saying, thank you. And I remember that day thinking, you know, worst case, if all we've done, I mean, we obviously didn't want this to be all we did. But if all we've done is help clean up this block for this neighborhood, we've already added value and we've already earned some some good goodwill. So that's. I don't know if that answered. That's too long of an answer to your question. No, 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 no. That's fine. So I guess what you're saying is as kind of, and I mean this in a, as a complimentary way, not as a criticism, but as aggressive as you are, it just with your personality and as it, it just sounds like a very unique skill set and seeing something, seeing the opportunity, knowing how to put it together, and then also kind of being involved, you know, while it's operational and on the back end too. But as aggressive as you were in that deal, you felt the sense of confidence and security as a person to come in and to f completely own whatever dynamics had already existed or, or what were already there and to be humble and to be patient, to listen to whatever the vibe was and whatever the concerns were and whatever the false promises that had been made and to be almost, it sounds like maybe overly honest and then to really try to be very clear in how you communicate what the plan was to back it up and people start to see progress. People start to see things that, you know, where people actually did 
have the resources to back up what was said or being done, and they start to see the needle move, that's what it takes to actually truly build a relationship and have a connection there to, to win over the community? Well, first of all, I'd like to engage you as my personal PR agent. <laughs> and secondly, that's extraordinarily generous of you. And I would say nobody's ever accused me of patience. And I think you said that word, and I know a lot of friends and family that will laugh. And I'm not kidding when I say thirdly, I really was, there was a lot more fear than you're giving me credit for fear of failure. And the amount of people that were involved, and I don't say this being falsely humble, you know, it's my brother's original idea. And he's who suckered me into moving back and out, my wife, Allison. And then Deanie Parker had really been a beyond key in keeping the Stacks family together. And she and still is so critical to Memphis. Sherm Wilmot had started Shangri-La Records and was this is a friend, unbelievable, incredibly interesting and good person and had done an amazing job with Memphis music when it wasn't as, as I mean, again, he was ahead of the curve. Jeff Higgs and Steve Barlow, you mentioned at Lemoyno and CDC. I mean, our board, which I could name everybody. I mean, I, I could keep on going and I feel bad that I'm not keeping on going because the amount of people that were all in was dramatic. And then and, and at key times, I mean, truly, you could just start naming some of these key folks, including folks that helped that I hadn't even started naming that helped build the museum. And I say all that just to say it really is. I mean, a lot of everything you're the things you're pointing out is it really is an example of strength when you bring everybody together to, to work on a shared vision. And then frankly, it was also my job was to, was to be hyperactive and sell and push and try to create a sense of urgency. But, but the sales pitch was so damn good. It was hard to find anybody that didn't like the vision and the mission. Does that make sense? I mean, it, you're bringing in, you're doing, you're working on a project to honor one of the greatest legacies in the history of the planet that was wildly unique to Memphis, that was reflective of Memphis as being a little engine that could and being arguably the most important musical city in the world, on out, not in a, and damn sure not just rock and roll. And then especially our racial history and then the specifically addressing that and how do we work together. Stax was the largest integrated business in the Southeast for years. It was the largest Black-owned business in the Southeast for in really one of them in the country for years. So it's all these things that you, it's just not a hard, and then frankly, music like sport, I think music and sports for Memphis are two of the places that bring us together as a city. And that was the other thing that was not a hard sales pitch. But anyway, so I, it was, I was honored to spend time on it and I'm still proud of the time, you know, proud of what we all accomplished. But frankly, it's still a lot of work to do too. Yeah. But once you kind of unpack there what you're talking about, coming back here, and there's a lot of things to your own right. And I'm, honestly, I'm kind of pissed that we only got an hour because there's so much value. And just from your standpoint with him and his standpoint with you, how have y'all learned how to operate in a way where you're doing these things? And like, there's something else that I'll talk about in a minute that I had no clue was connected here with no ego, where you're not trying to out, outdo one another, where you're committed to these things, you're leveraging each other's skill sets. And a lot of this stuff's behind the scenes, almost all of it. But you're you're leveraging exactly who you are and what you like and what you're good at. And I, I don't know your brother, but a lot of people aren't like that. A lot of families are really jacked up. And a lot of people try to 
compete or, or get jealous for attention and things like that. So from your standpoint, what have you learned about from a family standpoint, from a relationship standpoint to really kind of stay within your wheelhouse and work together versus, you know, kind of through an ego or bitterness creating consequences? It's a great question. And I don't claim to not have ego, by the way, but it's a great question. My brother has, the, he's the best at having no ego. My parents, my wife, I've been fortunate because the folks that were the most, you know, that, that have been the most impactful on me and not just family are all about not focused on ego and just feeling like that's, there's two issues. Number one, it doesn't go to a good place. We all have ego, right? All of us. And I do care what people think of me. Like when people say, I don't care what people think of me. Well, yeah, I do care what people think of me. But then, but, but frankly, if you don't put ego behind you as much as you as humanly possible, it doesn't go to a good place. There's no result that is improved if you're focused on your ego or, or yourself. And alternatively, there's only thousands of years of examples of folks that have done great work, not worried about ego and gotten a ton done. And, you know, George Marshall has a great quote about that. You know, like you give everybody else the credit. There's no, you know, I can't even remember who it's attributed to, but there's so many quotes like that where if you give a credit to other people, there's no limit to what you can get done. So, but I say all that, that's kind of you to say, and then with regard to, and, and I do believe for all of us, the more we can keep ego out of it, the better. Uh, it's also insincere because there's no project that hasn't had tons of people adding to the success of the project and making them happen. The other thing I'd say, you answered, you asked about my brother and I, that's been easy. I've enjoyed, you know, anything we've worked on together. We just know how to work together. I don't know how to, I really don't even know how to explain it. We just know and we're direct and we can snap at each other and be fine. There's also a lot of times, especially over the last few year, decade where we do stuff totally on our own. I mean, I had nothing to do with Crosstown, truly. I mean, I helped very early, helped buy the building. Literally, that was it. And then he really deserves credit along with a team of folks led by Todd Richardson and McLean, who did an unbelievable, unbelievable job. I love Crosstown, but I truly had nothing to do with it. Uh, Daily Memphi, and I've, I've really, he's been nothing but supportive, but I've purposefully, he's really not involved other than we did bring in Crosstown on the radio station or we worked together with them on the radio station. So I say all that there, we're always, we're, we actually just talked today earlier about a project we are working on together around music. So there's things that we're just very clear on of kind of what we're working on on our own that we're still supportive of each other and fired up about. And then what we work on together, which we're actually kind of picking up more recently. But how did that get kind of driven down into you? Because when you kind of look at this pattern, you look at this theme, even as a value investor, even as the, the principles that you lay out in these companies, long-term focused, you know, you're going to get a good price. You're going to look at a hundred deals. You'll, you'll take one, even pioneer the way it, in from their ethos, how they operate. They talk about they're able to stay in business because they don't, they don't get excessive. They don't get distracted. They take care of their people, people first company, even, you know, the water company, Pico, you know, they didn't really go into that ethos there, but you see this pattern. And even with the Grizzlies, Michael Hasley talking about, I mean, I read all this stuff. He said the, the people in Memphis, the business people in Memphis, they backed up what they said the, the executives in Louisville, they didn't know what they were doing. I'm just curious, how did that get driven into you where the ego really is not a part of it because that's 
that's just not the majority. And I don't know if there's anything else there, but how did you, how did that get driven? I, think, I mean, I, luck for me, it's luck. And some of what I'm admitting is being born on third base and being born and lucky to be surrounded by folks, including again, my family, but very much including non-family members to this day, some of whom I'm extraordinarily close to and exemplify doing things with no ego and no name. In fact, I won't even mention one name because he wouldn't want me to. So I'd say by example, Sam, I'd say I've been fortunate where I've had mentors and friends and family and I'm, and I feel extraordinarily lucky. And then by experience of not, not because I'm a nice guy, but by then following that lead and those examples and seeing that it works, (laughs) but it makes me happier and more importantly, I can be more effective. And again, I don't claim to be, I don't claim to be free of ego or free of, and I'll tell you this, I'm not free of, and, and anybody that's friends with me that works on projects with me will laugh. I'm not free of being a control freak or being a pain in the rear. So, you know, in a lot of ways, not not being focused on ego or getting name out there all the time or that, that also can be uh, very helpful in being able to spend more of your time one-on-one with folks pushing. Uh, because again, they know you're not pushing just for your own self-benefit. You get more credibility and currency on getting things done if it's crystal clear that we're all trying to get it done for a shared vision, not for somebody's personal gratification or, or their own payment. Yeah. When you were starting out in Dallas, and I don't know if you were any there, anywhere before that, did you enjoy real estate? What, what were you yeah. thinking in your 20s and, and early 30s before taking it to the next level? And then also from a communal standpoint, before any of that, what were you thinking? I had, inter- I had again, again, I'm lucky. I had witnessed a, my dad build, uh, you know, he was scrappy as far as how he built a company and grew it dramatically. And so, and I worked on, you know, I joked that my brother and I were the first employees cleaning pools and doing landscaping at Mid-America Apartments. So I, but I had the real estate bug early and then I was fortunate. We were really lucky, even though I knew I was lucky. We had a deal. We would not go into the family business. It was just kind of a known deal with my brother and I. And I'm, and I'm not against people who do. I don't, I, I want to be clear. That can be a great thing. I've seen it both ways work really well. Uh, and, and some days I wish I had, <laughs> especially when I watch their stock price. <laughs> but, the, um, but, I, but I'll tell you, I already had the bug. I love real estate because it's entrepreneurial in nature. I got the bug more deeply as I worked and interned at, when I was at the University of Texas for some really bright people that were fun to be around. I was unbelievably lucky to get my job at Crow. They were hiring, you know, every Harvard, Stanford person they could find. And then I was this UT finance undergrad as, you know, offering to work for free. I was chasing my beautiful wife who was working at Price Waterhouse up there. So, and it was a tough time in Dallas at that time. And so that was an unbelievably lucky break to get to start at Crow, who was really good to me. And then from there, but to answer your question, I, I yes, I had the bug. And I still enjoy it greatly because there's so much around it. And you and I have talked about that in the past. There's just so much. It's such a massive industry. and It's got so many layers and so many opportunities around it. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service, 
with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet card that gets you 10 or 25-hour flight options that makes your experience hassle-free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers and is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the U.S. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S to travel on your own terms. I'm curious to double down on when I said that quote earlier about when the Grizzlies were going to move from Vancouver and there was a list of eight, nine cities. I got them somewhere out here, but... And then he said, Louisville, they didn't have their stuff together. Their executives. He said that. I didn't say that. Actually, I thought they did have their. But by the way, side note, I think the Louisville execs did have their stuff together. But it's interesting. I didn't remember that quote. But I do. I definitely remember those days. And I remember Heisley well. So, and it was Louisville. It very much had come down to Louisville and Memphis. Yeah. The anonymous source was Memphis is pulling away from the pack. There are some big money people stepping up. They have a good arena. And they've enlisted some major corporate sponsorship to bring the team there. Major corporate sponsorship being FedEx. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I also obviously saw that, you know, a quote from him where he specialized in bond depreciated assets yeah. and turning them he was, around. He was a very talented, very talented, very tough private equity guy. He, he was, he was, he built in a very large business at Heiko. So from your standpoint at that, with that experience for you and the people involved, can you say anything about the way y'all operated or the way what may, most people might not know from the outside looking in to win the approval, to win over somebody like that, understanding the, what he wants personally, how to back up what you say, leverage corporate relationships in a place where people do want something to see the potential, even tie it back to the way you talked about lacrosse town and how to address things and get involvement and kind of own things. Can you speak to that? Was that influential in any way to you personally and how you thought about making deals happen, how you thought about really trying to advance a community, advance a city from a business standpoint that maybe a lot of people couldn't understand or see from outside looking in? Yeah, that's a, another great question. I don't know if I have a great answer. I, the, I love being a part of that process and the quote pursuit team and having a front row seat on everything that happened and being a part of some small part of it. I'd say the first thing I'd say is how many things happened before everybody knew what was happening. So the first thing I'd say that to this day, even people who are involved with it, there's not a lack of people that are convinced they made the Grizzlies thing happen. So I'll say that for starters and don't, that's, that one I almost should edit out. Um, <laughs> and I say that lovingly and laughingly because there, there were tons of people that were beyond critical. And there were also really critical people that didn't get enough credit, but, but most importantly, there was tons that went into the pursuit that was done well before there was a quote pursuit team, before there was a what was perceived as the beginning of the pursuit. And I remember us showing the pyramid to, I won't say its name, I'm probably not supposed to, but that we were pursuing New Orleans before we were pursuing Charlotte. And so we, were, we pursued, or I'm sorry, Charlotte, which became New Orleans. We were pursuing Charlotte before we were pursuing Vancouver. And we thought we were going to get the Charlotte Hornets. And that was a year-long pursuit. And, and it started softly, got much more serious. And it was, I mean, there were secret tours of the pyramid that I still really remember. I didn't even know there was a top of the pyramid until we went up there, which is now the, 
that view rim for Bass Pro. Yeah, that luxury Bass Pro bar. Exactly. But <laughs> really, should have gone. Sorry to RVC, which I don't yes. know if we'll get. No there. comment. No comment. <laughs> but no, seriously, the top of the pyramid is really is kind of a cool space. But that when they redid that, that space was up there, and there was there had been big ideas for anyway. So we but going through that process, I think now to, to go back to your question, I think the biggest takeaway to me was yes, when the city comes together which the city did and, and, and how, frankly, how hard it is to bring people together, especially in today's polarized environment. I'm an optimist. I believe you can for the right things. So I'm not, I'm not totally cynical. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm saddened and more pessimistic than I was about bringing people together these days, but it's still doable. But back then bringing the city together, having a unified front that was diverse and having the, the passion for Memphis that came through, to even a hard-nosed guy like Heisley, certainly I learned from that, and that's and it does reaffirm to me that if you have a team of people that have a shared vision and are all working their butts off and know how to execute, you can get it done. And I do think that was a huge coup. I'll, I'll add, you'll get a kick of this, and you, a kick out of this, you'll agree. I still remember, by the way, how many people were angry that we were having a publicly financed arena. And that this was a crazy deal. And it is funny to me, nobody ever goes back and then says, first of all, the arena financing all worked and it did not cost, you know, as on a, on a return on investment for the city and the county, it is a comically cheap deal for the city and the county. Unbelievably positive. Secondly, the original ownership group basically lost their investment. Nobody's whining, nobody's playing the violins, but that original investment was terrible. The current investment's really good because the finances of the the way it works for NBA franchises have changed beyond dramatically since that first deal. And then finally, um, when you think about the time we've all had as a city with the Grizzlies, what it means to the DNA of the city, how lucky we were to have people like Conley and Gasol and Zach and Tony Allen. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better group of grit, you know, the whole grit and grind comment that led to a movement basically for the city i just think that's amazing and we couldn't have we didn't know that was going to happen none of us did but that was that was a blessing and it also you look back and say to your point what i what i really look back and think about is go big and have a big you know have a big vision and the payback can be unbelievable and i think you would agree that payback for the city to have the grizzlies huge is just huge it was a game changer right yeah Obviously, we're talking here about the Grizzlies, and we could go on, but it seems like there's a pattern in your own life, and I don't know if it's a seven-year deal, a 10-year deal, or a 15-year deal before something turns over and it's a new initiative. <laughs> You've been talking to my wife. <laughs> no, just reading numbers. It's just, there's also rules in our household right now of what not to do. <laughs> no new deal. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not having any beers. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, not, you should have had this as an alcohol podcast. Yeah, but if you're gonna put, if you're gonna be a part of something, and it doesn't matter if it's Pioneer, it doesn't matter if it's Pico, it doesn't matter if it's RVC, and who's gonna operate that, or like if you look at Daily Memphian, when you're looking to put something together, and you're trying to evaluate your own involvement, the risks that you're taking with that, but then also having maintaining the freedom to continue to work on other initiatives or other business deals, a part of these operating companies that you have, what are the things that are you looking for in the person that's going to run that show that even if the success is not guaranteed, what have you seen over time and what are you looking for in the future 
to where, what you know that you have to be in place from that person if the odds are going to be in your favor for it to even work? That, that, another great question that I'll put as your the best question so far. I think that's the question. And where I've been, you know, I learned early and I believe is the most powerful lesson is surround yourself. But, you know, it's cliche. You know, a lot of people think it's a cliche. Surround yourself with great people and pick the quality of the human being first and worry less about I mean, you don't worry about it, but worry less about even their technical ability or anything else. It all starts with integrity and the quality of the human on everything. And I've been unbelievably lucky. My partners from investment partners to my operating partners have been unbelievably good people. And that's saved my bacon, by the way. RBC, by the way, has taken a long time. I mean, I'm proud as hell of it. It's awesome. But it's taken us a long time to get where we are. And if I didn't have unbelievable partners, both investment partners and the folks that help build the company, there's no way it makes it. You know, there's times where you're like, man, this is too hard. Uh, it would have been easy to pull the plug along the way is what I'm saying. And, and now it looks, oh, that's great. It's brilliant. Well, it's, it's a 13-year overnight, overnight success, by the way. And so it's overwhelming, overwhelmingly important to just focus on great humans at your side. And then also the other cliche of always hire and surround yourself with people smarter and better than you. I'm, I'm a good example of that. So like uh, the folks that make RBC go around on a daily basis are unbelievable. Um, and again, our investment partners are unbelievable. And that's true of my Val fund. I have a partner in Jacksonville who's a phenomenal human and bright as hell. And then my wife, who's been also incredibly supportive and a, and a true partner in everything we do uh, and, and my you know best advisor because she knows everything that's going on. So I just say all that to say, I, I mean it, I'd have zero. Whenever I hear somebody say I a lot or that they're self-made, I roll my eyes because I don't believe anybody can do it alone. I don't mean there aren't people that are remarkable talents and are remarkable at what they have led. I don't want to demean that either, but I don't believe that anybody can do it alone. And, and I think ultimately there's also always somebody there that we're never going to hear about that's been part of what made it possible. Do you also, is there any thought process that you put behind it to see if the person is uniquely wired or has a chip on their shoulder for that specific thing in conjunction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I didn't mean to um, overly simplify it on the quality of the human. Yeah, the next state, step would be hunger would be thirst, hunger, passion, uh, obviously skill, but are they all in? Are they going to put, are they going to put everything they got into whatever it is, whether it's for profit or nonprofit? And are they And clearly, of course you're, you're digging in. Are they going to have the skill set to do it? Because by the way, the other issue is you can have the greatest person in the world who's as hungry as anybody's ever going to be. But if they're not able to do the job, you've just done them a disservice. You've done everybody a disservice because they're not going to be able to pull it off. They're going to be demoralized, and then everybody and then you failed. So it's th it's those three things to me. I mean, I, that's overly simplistic, but that's in order of where I would go too. Yeah, we haven't talked about failures or owning anything or taking that chance. And it never had a failure. Yeah, I hear you. you'd have eight hours if you had thought about this and prepared. We could have had eight hours of success. <laughs> I could have signed my front books for you. It would have been awesome. <laughs> But you call, I mean, with RVC, you're very early to that. So it seems obviously the outdoor industry has just been booming. It was only accelerated by COVID. And, you know, you've got, what, 11 locations now around the country? Yeah, really 
seven core. Yeah, but the, the numbers moved a little bit. Our, we have seven core, and then we have three in pre-development. But by the way, on RDC, we're ecstatic about RDC, and we're working our tails off to grow it. And, and again, we're all very proud of it and having a fun. It's really fun, too. We, we love and believe in the business and our product. But I'll tell you the mistake there, and I appreciate your kindness and, and compliment, but mistake I made there, and I say I on this one because I screwed up, is I uh, didn't grow it fast enough. I think, I think it was a great idea, is a great idea. And then my lesson learned on that, it, there's a failure in it. And my, that was a failure on me, which is I didn't put the gas on when I should have as, as fast as I should have. And so that's something I reflect on a lot is that's an example where, you know, some failures are obvious. That was a, that is a failure. I mean, I should have, there's no question RDC should be even bigger and bigger is not always better, but I just mean we, we could be a lot bigger and there are multiple deals that we should have done that I reflect on and I'd rationalize not doing and I regret. And again, I'm not, I'm not losing sleep over it because uh, ultimately we're still in great shape, but that there's, there's, and, and I have plenty of other things I've learned from the hard way that have been failures. If you want, we could spend another eight hours on those. Yeah. I hear you. And I'm glad you shared that. But my point is you seem to have a talent of calling things early, seeing things ahead and like with Pico, like I don't know exactly your involvement now, but obviously global warming and which obviously everybody's going to have their opinion on that water shortages right now, moving water like to people that need it. And I don't know exactly the ins and outs of that operation, but RVC, that's very impressive. You know, obviously some of the most moved to cities right now are obviously outdoor destination areas, unique parts of the United States. And seeing Soulsville, your role in that, seeing the Grizzlies, seeing the role in that, the Daily Memphian, you know, and I think in 80, there was 1,800 around newspapers around the country. And what, 2018, there might've been around 1,200. So that's in decline. I've already had several people from, you know, Daily Memphian here on that. But what are you seeing? What are you excited about? What are you seeing over the next 10, 15 years that you think might be some areas of opportunity that you feel comfortable talking about? I was about to jokingly say plastics from the movie The Graduate, but actually it's plastics because I'm, we're involved with a company that, uh, which is a much longer story, that's coming. It's got a marine biodegradable plastic product. So actually, side note, I, I, I don't claim to have a, uh, by the way, a strategic genius view of the future. So you're being way too nice. I'm, I'm opportunistic. I, I, I try to read a lot. I try to listen. Even though I talk too much, I do listen. Um, and I also like to do what you're not claiming about me, but you're, you were just saying before the show how much you enjoy interacting with all these bright people. There's just nothing better than this. I mean, it's great. And again, I don't claim to be one of those people. And I love interacting with you, but you learn so much. And that's where I see opportunity. In other words, I think if I have a skill, I think you're being too generous in saying that somehow I look ahead and see the future. I don't claim that. And I'm not just being, again, I'm not trying to be humble. I do think I'm, I have tried to build the skill of asking a lot of questions, hanging around a lot of smart people, seeking a lot of mentors and building relationships, looking at very successful people and trying to understand what they're doing. And then, and then if I hear or see something that you, that it's an aha, I think if I, if I have had a skill, it is more that if you give me a project and you give me a mission, then 
I have a decent chance of pulling it off if it makes sense. And again, by the way, when I say I, because I'm going to go find really bright people and really good people to that are better and smarter than me to help pull it off. So to answer your question, I really don't have, I mean, if you ask me about some specific industries or specific ideas, do I have some themes that I think are going to happen? Yeah. But again, I don't, and it's, again, it's a great question, but I don't, on a macro basis, I don't, maybe one way to answer your question, I don't look at a macro theme and say, we have global warming, so I'm going to try to do X, Y, Z. Do, now, now go back to this, I joked, I half joked about the plastics. I do like to look at problems and say, okay, we have a, you know, we don't have to use that as the example, but find a big problem or a big underserved area or, or a, like RVC idea came as much from driving back from the lake house that we were lucky to have. And, and I was with three generations of family and I thought if you could democratize this and make this easily accessible to the world, that was part of it. And then talking to Barb Poyer, who I met through the whole Grizzlies world and is a fabulous person. And she was an RVer and asking where they'd stay. And the answer, this was at a Christmas party for the Grizzlies. And, and the answer was not good because it was all over. The, there wasn't like, well, there's one go to place, I mean, a group or company or brand. So that was more the aha there was not that I was thinking, oh, great. You know, there ought to be there's going to be this great outdoor movement. It was frankly more that, hey, this is broken. This doesn't work. There's a better way to do this. Does that make sense? Yeah. So my, so it's not a um, I, and, and last thing and I'll shut up. I'm reading a book called The Accidental Superpower right now. It's a great book. And this guy is a great thinker. And he is much more macro, much more big picture much more thematic and it's fascinating and, it, and he, by the way he starts with a lot of history which i love but he bases his a lot of his deep thinking on historical knowledge and i love that i don't claim to be great at that by the way i don't think i could do i couldn't write that book and i think fred smith is an example could write that book i'm not just saying that i mean that's that would be the kind of person i'd look at and say and has done he didn't he not only saw an opportunity he i think he did see something coming and did have that knowledge of history to figure out how it's going to work. Yeah. Was there a specific time, I'm curious if you think back, you, you said earlier, these were your words, not mine, that you were born on third base, but you take big swings and there's an urgency about you. I, honestly, I would love to understand how you, you, you manage things, time, all that stuff. But you take big swings, and it doesn't seem that you're afraid to fail. And I know you say you are afraid to fail, but like, for example, the Bass Pro deal a few years ago that you didn't When get you say it. Bass Pro, are you talking about Mud Island? Yeah, Mud Island. Okay. But you, you've talked earlier about a vision, and if you feel you get locked in on that vision and you feel it makes sense, and you've talked about other people being all in, and that's, that's what you exude personally, is there anything you can say about what you've learned about when you have a vision – and it's big, anything, maybe how you learned it first or how you've learned it over time to really go all in on it and, uh, and not to let the size of it or the potential failure of it cause you from not going after it? Oh, man. I mean, it, my fear of failure is letting people down and, you know, first do no harm, not screwing something up. And I guess that's back to ego. And then, yes, I don't want to be – nobody wants to fail at something. 
And then yet to your other point, but you're right, I'm schizophrenic because the flip side is anything you're doing something entrepreneurial, you have to be ready to fail. And you got to know statistically that you very well might. The other thing I have the benefit of is I do have a backstop. You know, I'm, I've, I've got my life set up where I can take these swings and, you know, use your baseball analogy. If you're already lucky, and I'm not, again, I'm not claiming to be a great hitter, but if, if you're in baseball and you're some killer, you know, you're an MVP candidate, you're allowed to have strikeouts if you're hitting a bunch of home runs or for that matter, you're just hitting a lot of hits. And then again, I'm really aware enough. I'm, I'm, I have the luxury, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I've got the luxury. I can take those swings and afford them, you know, literally through my life, I can deal with them. And a lot of people don't have that. And so I think they have an obligation to do it. I mean, frankly, I mean, otherwise you're wasting an opportunity. So I, I worry a lot of times of the things I'm not doing that I should be doing and that I have the, that I've been fortunate enough to be in a position to do. Then on size, if anything, I feel like I could be, you know, frankly, I feel, and this could be the dangerous because this could be arrogant and uh, truly could be a really disastrous comment. But at this point, I want to do bigger stuff. You know, frankly, you know, it's like, wow, we can maybe have a bigger impact. Like what? Like RBC, I'd like to see it get much bigger. Daily Memphian, I'd like it to see, you know, clearly we want to grow that dramatically and do more things around it. We're talking about that. I'm talking to Eric Barnes this morning about that. Something else we want to add to it. So that can become that ambition can be dangerous if you're going the wrong direction you could damage what you've already built right and so that's irresponsible if you don't do it the right way and then thought through that but by the same token if you're in a if you have the foundation to go go bigger then you really and and, and you really should you need to go do it and but i don't you know i don't again i don't i i, I try to reflect on certainly the risks and the downsides and any damage we could do if we're wrong but I'm more focused right now on what are those things we're not doing. Yeah. What's the joy, the risk, the work? You can live a lot of places. There's other friends of mine, people I talk to that can live a lot of different places. What's the joy for these risks of you coming back, moving back from Texas, moving to Memphis, being a part of all these incredible things? What's the meaning of that to you personally and how that could continue to transform a city for, let's say, the next 15, 20 years? Because I think this is a special place because the people we were I was talking to family about this, my wife and my brother and his partner last week about this. It's a special place. The people here are special. It's a small community. You know, it, it, you know, the, the old comment that it's a big, t small city, big town. It is its home, but it's also welcoming and it's home to a lot of folks that it didn't initially wasn't their home initially. It's needs us. You know, the other thing I was in Dallas for years. And my wife's from Austin. We're in Austin a lot. One thing I love about my wife, she loves Memphis. And it'd be easy to say, well, Austin's a sexier city and we could live there. But Memphis needs us, you know, all of us. And I think that's, it's much more meaningful when you know you're moving the needle. And you know this, you've experienced this and you're doing it now is when you're in a town that you're like, you know, you, you're making something happen and you can see it and you know, it's, it's, it's necessary, it's needed, it's fruitful. That's a lot more powerful than if you're sitting in a place that, frankly, you're not moving the needle and it doesn't need you. Does that make sense? And it's, yeah. it, and then ultimately, again, I do think the people and the quality of the people and the diversity of the people here in, in all diversity in all ways, it makes it especially unique. Man, that's awesome. Thank you. It makes a ton of sense. And I guess what I'm hearing you say 
at least enough of the right people are involved and enough of people that believe in the cause itself and know how to make it happen are doing it. And you've seen the progress over time. So you don't feel like it's a hopeless effort. No, I think it's, it's never is. And if you don't tilt at some windmills, you'll get nothing done either. So you gotta, you've gotta take those risks and be ready for it not to work or it's not worth doing anyway. Hey everybody, since you've made it this far in the show, I wanted to share with you something that you may love. A few months ago, I was asked to interview a close friend's grandmother who's in her 90s. She lives outside of the United States, and this was a way to get to the heart of her and capture her life in a way that could stay with the family for generations to come. This interview was an absolute blast, and it brought tremendous joy and value to this family. Since then, I started doing this for others. If you have someone you love or know of someone whose story and life you'd love to capture in an interview, then go to drivenbypodcast.com and send me a message. My team and I would love to discuss this with you further. Finally, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Driven By Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review. Please subscribe to the show and you can follow me on social, on Twitter and Instagram to join me for future episodes of the Driven By Podcast. Hope you have a great week and see you next time.